Hey you guys, so this next episode you're about to hear was recorded in January. January before I came back to school when I was still on winter break. And it's not being posted until March because I could not decide if I was going to do this or not. And basically the premise is, when I first started this podcast, I was a nursing major. And I was going to include nursing content, but I'm a public health major. And I'm a nerd, and... I don't have a lot of people to talk to about this, but I talk a lot, so I have a podcast. And so if I don't have anybody to talk to about it, what am I going to do? I'm going to mention it on my podcast. So if you guys want to nerd out about health sciences, biomedical sciences, anything public health, nursing related, related to the human body, illness, disease, maybe even healthcare legislation, legislation, is that how you say it? If you're interested in any of that, listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Also, you guys, sorry to pop right back in here again, but in this episode, well, in this recording, I talk about Ebola and then reparations for, I think it was specifically Puerto Rican women, but it includes all Hispanic women, all Latinas, uh, getting reparations in California for sterilization practices. And I did not want to make this first episode too long, so this episode only focuses on Ebola. But the next episode, we'll talk about that. And then the next one, there's just a whole bunch of more different topics I have. But yeah, enjoy it. Hi, my beautiful lovelies. I hope you're doing absolutely amazing today. I hope you continue to feel gorgeous inside your skin and also your personality because you are. Anyway... I don't have a life update for you guys. I go back to school in two weeks, and that's about it. So you guys go ahead and tell me about your day. And before you tell me about your day, if you're going to say something bad, also say something good, because I feel like we don't appreciate life enough, and we don't appreciate our lives specifically enough. Like, yeah, we all have things we go through, but life is still worth living. So go ahead. Say something good. I'm going to give you ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was 10 seconds because I should have started counting, but I didn't, so... And maybe if you don't want to talk, you can also be a little... A little moment of silence. Just breathe in, breathe out. Like, what is it? Bra- breathe in... I don't remember the numbers, but it's like breathe in for however many seconds, hold it, and then let it out. Yeah, that. Anyway, this episode is new. So I remember when I first started this pod, I was a nursing major, right? And I was like, this podcast is going to be a mix between the regular podcast episodes I do and then like little tidbits for the nurse girlies to study because we all need study tips and everything. So that didn't happen. And I am also no longer a nursing major, but I am a public health major. Go me. Still going to graduate on time. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd, so I learn about things, whether it's for school or not, whether it's for a project or not, I learn about it, and then I just get, I I just, I just really like learning about it. Whenever it comes to nerd things like the human body or disease or just public health in general, I soak it up like a sponge. So, I don't know what exactly to call this. I was going to call it public health in the news, but that's what assignments were called in public health 101. We had an assignment to do for class, I think it was four times a semester, 
and we had to pitch public health in the news to the class and it's supposed to take a minute or less like an elevator pitch and i really like that idea because anything public health in the news i was soaking it up if you guys are into the medical field and public health and all that then these episodes these little tidbits are going to be for you they're going to be bonus episodes and i think i'm gonna call them public health things so it'll say public health things colon and then whatever i'm going to talk about so that way if you're not a nerd like me you don't have to listen and you can just listen to the regular episodes but the topic for today two topics one one of them my cousin slash bestie sent me the other cousin slash bestie um let's call her macaroni because that's my nickname for her and then the other one um they it came from instagram my sister sent it to me and it's just i don't know how to feel about it but anyway we're gonna talk about california sterilizing hispanic women at alarming rates way back in the day and even up to today and then them getting reparations for it or supposedly possibly getting reparations for it and then we're going to talk about the possible ebola outbreak now hopefully the outbreak didn't actually happen but i do want to talk about ebola because that is what got me into public health in the first place i was a sophomore in high school and we had to read that book called the hot zone for english class we had to do a lot of writing about it and just discussing it in class and i remember learning about it and of course everybody was like oh my gosh ew that's gross but i was like oh really that's really interesting and then there's like there's no vaccine for it there's no cure um, i'm pretty sure though last year or the year before that they developed the vaccine it's not effective effective but it does it does make a difference so i do want to talk about that and also talk about what ebola actually is because i remember whenever the outbreak happened and i was in middle school everybody was like oh my gosh people ebola turns people into zombies um, I hope it doesn't get over here, da, da, da. it did come over here, and it doesn't turn people into zombies, so we're gonna get into that, so just hang tight, and we're about to nerd out together. Okay, so two things I want to talk about, um, like I said before, is the Ebola outbreak, and California maybe, maybe not giving reparations to the Hispanic families that were affected by over-sterilization, and I know that was a lot of words, but we're going to get into it. Anyway, the Ebola outbreak my sister sent me, the possible Ebola outbreak, the post has since been deleted, and I remember seeing so many likes and comments on it, and that just goes to show, like, how the information, not how the information, how the internet can really spread misinformation, because the post was deleted, like it was never there, and then if you try to research it further, there is no research. You have to type very, very specific and basically the claim was that uh, George Washington University Hospital had a possible Ebola outbreak. They were closed, they were investigating it further, and then the other hospitals in the area were overwhelmed because they were closed. Now, it's false. It's false, it's false. It's a DC hospital, so you know the DMV, I was like, looks like I can't go. And I go over there all the time, but I do not play Ebola. Like I said, it was a disease that really got me into public health and so if that was anywhere nearby i was not leaving the house barely gonna go to work because you do not want to play with ebola at all and so gw hospital george washington university hospital if you know it they came out they said they were fully open they don't have any ebola patients at all and so i think it was on twitter first i think it was a screenshot of a tweet that was shared on Instagram. I saw it on Instagram. I don't know if the tweet is up or not. Because I never saw it on Twitter. But it's definitely not on Instagram. 
Yeah, on the hospital's page on Twitter, there was a statement released. It says, GW Hospital isn't accepting no patients due to a possible Ebola outbreak. Also, Washington Hospital Center has no bed space with the line out the door. Stay tuned for more updates. One, there's no Ebola. So we're good there. Nothing, nothing to worry about there. Two, in the growing population that we have in the world, on top of the shortage of doctors and the shortage of nurses, and the shortage of nurse practitioners, which are helping the shortage of doctors, and just like the medical personnel in general, um, beds are expected to be short, especially in areas like D.C. that are highly populated. Um, there's barely any help. I remember I I used to work at a hospital, the hospital right across the street from my school, and the the staff members, they didn't have that many, Like, and it was already on the decline. I worked, me personally, I worked in the emergency department, and I was, what would you call me? I was like patient access. I was a registrar. Let's call me a registrar. I was a person that came in, even though you were in the ER and you probably didn't feel like talking to me. I was like, hey, hey, sweetie. Um, I'm going to stand here in the doorway just in case you have anything infectious. And I need you to tell me your first name, last name, your birthday. Do you have your insurance card so I can bill you properly? Um, if you have rich people insurance or no insurance at all, I am so sorry to tell you, you might have to pay between a hundred and three hundred dollars. Would you like to pay that now? Or would you like us to send you your bill in the mail? Okay. And what are you here for? Okay. And who are your emergency contacts? Like you, like you do not want to answer all of those questions. And some people were really nice and some people were in pain. So then it's like, if you can't answer the questions, then we have to try to track down your family members. And I like the job. I'm not going to lie, because I really want to be a nurse and a, a nurse practitioner at that, like you guys know. So sometimes I was in the room at the same time as the doctors and the nurses. And sometimes I got to see injuries and none of it grosses me out. Like I watch surgeries for fun. Nothing grosses me out. Maybe a smell, a smell might get to me a little bit. And I'm horrible at snot. I don't like snot. I don't like poop. But like all the gory stuff, you throwing up, it's nasty. But I'm not going to turn around and throw up too. And I just, like, I don't know, if you're sick, it's not going to bother me. I'm going to feel bad if it's a kid, because we did work in the kid ER and the adult ER. So that's going to make me sad seeing a kid in pain. But, like, all the stuff people were there for, like, if they had lacerations or bruises or something, I, I was fine. I was Gucci. And if I could go to another hospital, I would. And I'm not going to say why I left, but that hospital understaffed i have never been to the entire hospital but in the er itself i know it was understaffed we had travel doctors and travel nurses all the time and some there was one part of the er that's it used to be open all the time and then some of the days it was open some of the days it was closed because before a certain time we didn't have enough staff and then there was one part of the hospital that was just 95 percent of the time it was closed due to not enough staff so i understand firsthand how annoying it could be and how easily beds in a hospital can be you can be short on beds in a hospital even if you have some you might not have enough staff to fill them all up and then if you have an overwhelming flow of patients then you do have to put the patients in that room but your amount of staff hasn't changed unless somebody comes in that wasn't supposed to but it's like these people are working 12 16 hour shifts maybe even longer than that they're not going to want to come in. Like, they might not even have the energy, truthfully. So I completely understand how they can be out of beds. Now, I know after this pandemic, there's been some buzzwords like outbreak and 
speaking from a nursing student slash public health student point of view, an outbreak can be misleading because if you're in a nursing home and literally one person has symptoms or has tested positive for an infectious disease, one person testing positive is an outbreak. So it's not like there was like 10 people in the hospital that had Ebola. If we know it was false, but if it was true, it's not like there was 10, 20 people are lying out the door with Ebola. It's literally one. It's one person. Now, Ebola, let's get into that. That is highly infectious. And it is, it does have a high death rate. But I know, how, how am I going to try to explain this? I know describing people as zombies, you're literally going to think of The Walking Dead. Like, why are people coming back to life? Why is the body still moving? It's not like that. It's not like that weird fungus that kills birds and then makes them move to attract other hosts to it. It's not like that at all. Which, by the way, that fungus is creepy. And I hope it dies out and never jumps to humans. Knock on wood. But it's not like that at all. The reason why people say Ebola turns people into zombies is because whenever you have Ebola, um, it gets to a point. It The whole thing is bad. And the, some of the people that do recover, they go through. They go through it. But the people that are dying and the people that are very, very ill, which is basically everybody, um, you start, you know you're genuinely going to die like if you have Ebola you're most likely gonna die but there's still a chance but once you get to this point where you can be described as a zombie there is no chance of surviving because what Ebola does besides make you sick and the reason why people like throw up like black fluid and stuff is because Ebola literally liquefies your organs so it's not like eating them away it's not well it does gonna it is gonna make them shut down but the reason people describe them as a zombie is because your organs and your insides are literally liquefying, which is going to be an unpleasant and painful process, but it's like your flesh starts to get hollow because everything is like turning into liquid. Everything is shutting down, everything is dysfunctional, and everything is just going downhill, turning into nothing, turning into infectious, infected goo. That's basically what's happening. And so... As that's happening, everything starts liquefying, your body is shutting down, your organs are shutting down, your skin is going to look hollow, and it's probably going to separate from the bone, or look very much like it's separating from the bone, and so you're going to get, you're going to have all these dark spots on your skin, you're going to look sick, you're going to look ill, you're going to look like, what's happening on the inside of your body, you're going to look like that on the outside, you're going to look like you got hit with the 18-wheeler truck full of death, because you did. And so that's why people are described as looking like zombies. Now, to get into actual Ebola, what is it? You know what it does, what it can do. Now, Ebola is technically rare, and I'm glad it's rare, but it's, like, rare here. Like, every year there's cases in other countries where it's, like, there's an outbreak here, there's an outbreak here. But it's not, like, out of control like it was whenever I was around middle school age. It's more, it's more controlled, it's more localized, like, if there's an outbreak, if multiple people get it, then they're, they, it usually also gets shut down. Like, you can use, there's usually an end to the outbreak, there's usually an end to the, not a pandemic, because it's not more than one country affected, but the endemic, endemic, the endemic usually ends. The endemic is basically a pandemic, but in a localized area on one spot. Not more than one country, maybe not even more than one county, it's a local spot, so, endemic not pandemic spreads through blood obviously through saliva and also through touching a contaminated surface now 
it's kind of like COVID. It's not airborne, even though a whole bunch of people said air... That's a whole other conversation. Ebola did not spread through the air, and COVID did not spread through the air. That's droplet precautions, so we'll get into that in another episode. But Ebola... Whenever there was an outbreak in America those years ago, on that plane, it wasn't because you just breathe and it goes in the air. It's because that man... Number one, we didn't really know... Well, the general public didn't know what Ebola was, scientists did, but he didn't know he had it. And so he was just hacking up his lungs and throwing up on the plane into a little... I've never been on a plane, so I don't know the technical term, but like the bags they give you, you have to throw up. He was just hacking into that. Of course, if you're hacking up your lungs, your spit is going everywhere. A plane is recycled air. So when he's spitting into the air from not covering his cough all the way because he's hacking up his lungs and there's people next to him... The particles that go into the air from that are just going to get recycled on the plane, and so that's how those people got that. Now, I do have to go into work, but when I get back, we are for sure going to finish this Ebola conversation. Okay, I'm back. So, for some backstory on Ebola, I learned about it from reading The Hot Zone when I was a sophomore in high school, and I actually went and bought the book after... And I also got a book called Inside the Hot Zone, which is going to go into the hot zone, but more in depth, so I need to read that more. And also, I think it was the History Channel or National Geographic that came out with the series talking about Ebola. I think it was also called The Hot Zone based off the book, but don't quote me on that. And then I have a book sitting on my shelf called Spillover by David Quammen, I think that's how you say his name. And he was saying how the next human how the next threat to the human species via disease was going to be a zoonotic disease. And then COVID happened, and his book got a whole lot more attention and all all that. But basically, I bring Spillover up because, personal backstory on Ebola, Ebola is a group of viruses. Uh, the viruses are related to Marburg. Let me double check. My bad, I did it wrong. So, Ebola and Marburg are both in the same family, aka the philo- the philovirus family. Um, I think philoviruses include Marburg, Ebola, and probably another one or two that I can't remember. And so, whenever we're talking about Ebola, there's different, there's different forms of Ebola based on where the outbreaks took place. There is Ebola Zaire, which is the main virus, aka Ebola virus. There's Sudan Ebola virus aka Sudan virus. Um, there's Thai forest virus, which was known as Cote d'Ivoire Ebola virus. And then there's Rustin virus, which aka is Rustin Ebola virus. And then there's Bombali virus, which was aka Bombali Ebola virus, and a couple more. So, how Ebola came about was that they believe that bats are the reservoir host for Ebola. And so they believe bats had it first, and then they ended up spreading it to other animals via, you know, being in caves, animals go in caves, and they're just under bats, or, I don't know, the bats could have interacted with the animals some kind of way, and then the animals, it can jump species, basically. So, like, bats, to apes and monkeys, to antelopes, but it's also zoonotic, and this is where the spillover book comes over. A spillover happens when an animal or a person becomes infected with Ebola through a a reservoir host. So this could be through bats or the animals that were affected by the bats. 
or kind of like with COVID, it could come from somebody preparing to eat an animal that has Ebola. And so then, of course, after one person gets it, then it's human-to-human transmission. And then the survivors have a lot of stigma, and they could have they could have some slight symptoms after it's done. Like, whenever you get over a cold or something, it's still, it's still going to take you a little while to get back to normal, but Ebola is not a cold. And I feel bad that they have stigma, but if I heard you have Ebola, it's not like I heard you have the flu. If you have Ebola where like half or most people die, I'm going to stigmatize you too. I'm sorry. I just am. And so in the hot zone, it was talking about the Ebola outbreak that happened. I don't even remember what year it was, but like I was saying in middle school, but Ebola was first found out in 1976 near the Ebola River in what is the Democratic Republic of Congo. And since then, there's there's been outbreaks in around several African countries. I don't know why I said around several. Several is not a specific number. There's been an outbreak in some African countries, but the outbreaks, like I said, have a beginning and an end. It's not like it just start and everybody just dies. Like, they have more ways to prepare for it now. They have more ways to deal with it now. And after recovery, the survivors may experience tiredness, muscle aches, eye and vision problems, and stomach pain, and of course, like I said, stigmatism. Now, getting into the meat and potatoes of Ebola, like what happens to you if you were to get Ebola, knock on wood, God forbid, you never get it. Of course, like I said earlier, Ebola is transmitted through bodily secretions. So, interacting with animals that you're about to eat that are infected with Ebola, or being near people that have it and you don't have the right PPE, or just being around a dead body that had Ebola. Because like I said, Ebola liquefies your organs, so... If you're around the body after the person died, then there's a risk for infection. It's not like I'm slowly feeling bad. I've been sick a couple days and maybe I should go to the doctor. No, it hits you. It's fast. And so you'll get a high fever, headache, general tiredness, weakness, fatigue, muscle and joint pains, and sore throat. And that's just like the day you get it. By the third day, you are nauseous. You are physically vomiting. You have bad stomach pain, you have watery diarrhea, your diarrhea sometimes has blood and mucus in it, and you lose your appetite. And then five to seven days after the symptoms, uh, you get a skin rash, you start bleeding, because like I said, it liquefies your organs, so your diarrhea is bloody, you're bleeding from your nose, you're vomiting blood on top of having bloody diarrhea, you're bleeding from your gums, you're bruising everywhere, because like I said, it's easier for you to bruise it's easier for you to bleed because everything's just liquefying. It's eating away at yourself. Um, if you someone has to like put an IV in you or something, it's going to bleed and bleed and bleed. And then you will have impaired kidney and liver function. And then, of course, you'll have confusion, irritability, and decreased level of consciousness and an out of consciousness whenever you get bad. And then if you're about to die, you go into hypovolemic shock because of all the fluids you lose in your body and also multi-organ failure. Which is kind of going to happen if your organs are literally liquefying. So, I'm sorry, that was very dark. I'm going to just take a second and let that sink in. Okay, to test for Ebola, not only are there the physical symptoms that I just told you, but they can use an ELISA test, which this is very, this is going to get very, very even more nerdy, even though I was already nerdy. An ELISA test, 
um, an antigen capture test, a serum neutralization test, a RT-PCR assay, which means reverse transcriptase, polymerase chain reaction assay, electron microscopy, and virus isolation by cell culture. And I know we don't know what all of those mean, but I will do an episode later on all that sciencey stuff on how to actually identify a disease. And so to treat Ebola, well, to treat the symptoms at least, this is what they do. They can give you oral or intravenous fluids because you're going to be so very dehydrated. And I feel like here in America, we don't think about it that much. But people literally die of diarrhea. Like, it will dehydrate you and make you die. It's a serious thing. And so having to go through that on top of vomiting, on top of just losing fluid while having Ebola, they need to rehydrate you. And they try to maintain your blood volume and electrolyte balance. And they need to replete, not replete, oh my gosh, replace your coagulation factors. Because if you're bleeding continuously, it means your clotting factor isn't working. So that means your coagulation factors are broken. Coagulation coagulation factors meaning what helps your blood clot. Um, they need to minimize any invasive procedures because if you keep bleeding from a needle prick, you're going to keep bleeding from anything else. And they also give you pain medications. And so there's also, for Ebola specifically now, they do have monoclonal antibodies, which is to treat Ebola, the infection specifically. They also have antivirals. And then they also have, they do have vaccines now. Well, it's just one vaccine. It's the Ebola Zare vaccine. But like I mentioned earlier, there's more than one type of Ebola. It's better than when we had nothing, but also a lot of more work needs to be done. And I do want to help do that work if it's not cured or have a, has a better vaccine by the time I'm graduated and can use my degree. But also, I don't know if I want to be in contact specifically with the people that have it, but I will be in the lab because I, I do not want another outbreak. I do not want to be patient zero. I don't want to test my chances. That's fine. I'm learning about it. I don't want to live it. And so the life expectancy for if you get Ebola, it depends on the outbreak. Um, Generally, it's a 50-50 shot. Either going to live or you're going to die. 50-50. But also, it can be very high. And so infections from past outbreaks have varied from 25% to 90%. But there, there are some countries that know how to handle it better than we do. So, whenever that one guy had it back when 12, to, no, 11 to 13, that's between 9 and 7 years, 7 and 9 years ago. Yeah, whenever that guy had it, and we didn't even have a vaccine, we didn't have no nothing. Yeah, that was scary. That's all I have for you, buddy Bola. Read the hot zone. If you're not a reader, um, watch that special from National Geographic. It gives you exactly what the book tells you. With less detail, of course, if you like the science nerd stuff, like I said in this episode, go ahead and get the book. But, I don't know, it's a good show. It was a good little mini-series, but it did, it did not give you all the information. It did not do it justice, but that might not be what you guys are looking for. And that was the end of this first episode of Public Health Things. Like I said, it's a bonus episode. So it's not going to be part of a season, but it is going to be on its own little, its own little, you'll see what I mean. I don't know how to explain it. I guess its own little system. And I'm going to try to keep these ones short and sweet, no longer than 30 minutes at the latest, because it's a lot of words and I'm talking very fast. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of sciencey things. And I want to be able to explain it to you guys, but I also can't overwhelm you or overwhelm myself because sometimes I learned about things and I go down a rabbit hole 
and I cannot stop reading, but girl, you got things to do. So for the rest of my science nerds out there, if you like this, you're going to continue to like it. And I hope you learned something and I hope it was fun for you to listen to. Anyway, have an amazing day. Continue to stay blessed, beautiful, and highly favored. And I love you. Go out there and change the world or something like that.